Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. And this morning we're going to finish our uh, series in the book of Galatians called No Other Gospel. And so um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardback ESV somewhere near you in the pew. And uh, if you need a Bible, that's our gift to you. Feel free to take that today. Uh, But we'll be in chapter 6 of Galatians and uh, looking at the first 10 verses. And we're going to talk about gospel community. So as Paul has kind of addressed the churches in Galatia, he's talked about these false teachings that have come in that say Jesus plus something. And so he's saying there's no other gospel. Uh, And so he's saying this is what you need to know. And now he's kind of moved into this transition of application. And so he's going to kind of land the plane here with what it looks like to live in a gospel community of faith. And so uh, what I want you to understand this morning is a gospel community restores those who are caught rather than ridicules those who are corrupt. All right, so there's, a, there's like a thesis statement there. So uh, a gospel community restores those who are caught rather than ridicules those who are corrupt. Anybody ever get caught in a sin just doing something you weren't supposed to do just red-handed, right? Yeah, there, a couple of you were like... Yes, like very slowly raising your hand. I, I can remember I was not a good kid. You, you might you know, know that from uh, previous talks, but I was not a good kid. Uh, I was always getting into trouble, and it was really, it was kind of, most of the time it was innocent. I was just trying to be funny, and I was just like, that's funny, and then teachers would be like, no, it's not. And uh, so one day I had fireworks at school, <laughs> trying to be funny. And see, you laughed, right? And they weren't, they weren't bad fireworks. They were just the kind of, the, you pull a string and they would pop, you know, and so they were innocent. I'm walking through the hallway and they're all duds, right? I'm like, they're, they're all duds. These don't work. But as soon as I stepped into the classroom, pow, and the teacher looked over at me and I was like, what? And smoke was like rising in front of me. I was like, yeah, you caught me, right? Like, I can't deny it. I'm caught in the act. I, I, I'm caught red-handed. So the church is to be a community of faith that sees those who are caught in transgressions, those who are caught in sin, and we don't point our fingers and we don't ridicule them because we've all been there. And more than likely, we're going to be there before we know it again. And so we're a community of faith that restores those who are caught in transgression. I don't know if you've noticed, but as you walk in, there's a verse on the wall out there and a, and a statement that says, we desire to be a church that passionately loves others to Christ. And the verse there is 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. The church is to be a place that shows the love of Christ in such a way that it leads people to restoration and repentance. As we uh, talked about in our Bible study on Wednesday night, looking at 1 John, John the The apostle would say this in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So basically what John's saying is he's writing to a church, Paul's writing to a church, and he's like, look, if anyone is caught in a transgression, those who are spiritual should restore them gently. John is saying, look, you are the body of Christ, and I want you to get get this straight. Every single one of us has sin in our life. And if we will confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There's not a single one of us in here who hasn't been caught in sin. Not a single one of us in here that have it all together. And so as we join together as the community of faith, as the gospel community, we look for restoration in Christ. That's why we point to Jesus. So Galatians chapter 6. 
you have your word, follow along with me. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who was taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing, of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We ask God that you would speak to us this morning, enlighten us, show us exactly what it is you would want us to see about you and how you want to transform our lives. Father, we thank you for restoration. We thank you for forgiveness of sin. In Christ's name, amen. So as you talk about the gospel of faith, you have to talk about sin in the gospel community of faith. So he says there, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression. So the word if is, is kind of there, but it's, I mean, we know it's probably going to happen. If someone is caught in a transgression, those who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So this word restore is to put in order. And it's actually a word that is a secular Greek term for a medical uh, term of setting a bone or putting a bone back in place that has been dislocated or broken. If you ever broke a bone, you know what this is like, right? You know that there, you have to go to the doctor and you have to reset it. Now, I remember when my son was riding his bike and uh, he was going down the, the street and the chain popped off. And instead of, you know, just riding it out, you know, he, he freaked out. And so he just jumped ship and fell and broke his arm. And so we knew we needed to take him to the doctor and have that bone reset in a spirit of gentleness. I mean, you don't want to go in and be like, yeah, we can fix it, right, and just pop it right back in. No, you're like, no, I want you to be gentle here. This already hurts. I want you to gently restore it. You can give me some pain medicine. You can give me a shot. You can knock me out. You can do whatever you want, but I want there to be some gentleness that goes along with this resetting of a bone, right? Yes, yes. Okay, you agree with me. Some of you are like, no, bring it. Bring it. I go right in that doctor's office, and I'm like, come on. See what you got, doctor. So unfortunately... What happens in the church is, the, unfortunately, the job of restoration is often neglected in the church. We have a tendency to either pretend the sin never happened, or we tend to react too harshly towards the one who has sinned. So what happens is, number one, you get to a point where you're like, oh, I know so-and-so is doing this, but I don't, it's, not my, it's not my point. I'm not going to point it out, or I'm not going to say anything. That's their business, not my business, Right? We're just going to pretend it didn't happen, and we see them broken in their relationship with God. Sin breaks. Sin always separates. That's what we, we learn in, in Genesis. It separates us from God. It breaks our, our communion with the Father. Sin always separates. It always breaks. And so when we see someone who is broken, those of us who are spiritual, we should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. However, sometimes we're like, no, nah, I ain't going to say nothing. I better not go there. Or we react too harshly. Do you know what so-and-so did? Can you believe that? I ain't, I ain't going to gossip, but I'm just going to tell my friends, right? I'm not, I'm not going to gossip. I'm just going to tell the people I know, right? 
See, a gospel community is a community of faith that displays a Christ-like character and carries out a Christ-like conduct. Even as we talked about last week, there's a tug of war that's taking place, one between the flesh and the spirit, and it's always pulling. If you're going to keep in step with the spirit, you better be pulling in that direction because it's going to be evident if you go towards the flesh, and it's going to be obvious if you go towards the spirit by what is produced in your life. And there's two ways that you can go as you talk about this pattern of life, and it's the conduct that you can display as a Christ-like restoration character or a devil-like accusation character. So which direction will you go when it comes to restoring a brother who has fallen in Christ? Peter says this in Acts chapter 3, 17 through 21. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, and as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. The, the work of Christ is the work of restoration, of restoring, of taking what was broken with gentleness and mending it back to where it should be. This is the work of Christ. And so even Peter here, he's like, look, if you are broken, even if you did it in ignorance, now's the time to repent. Because repentance leads to refreshing in the Lord, and refreshing in the Lord leads to restoration in the Lord. If if you are broken, now's the time to repent. Now's the time, even if it was in ignorance, now's the time to turn towards the Lord. The church is to carry on this mission and not not the mission that... Uh, of accusation. Revelation 12.10 says this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. So the work of Satan is to accuse. So when someone is caught in a transgression, when they're caught in a sin, when they're caught by, the, by, by those who are around them, The tendency is either to ignore, act like it never happened, or to point fingers. But the job of the church is to carry on the work of Christ by seeking ways to restore those who are broken. Look, look at what Christ has done. Let's lead each other towards repentance. Let's lead each other towards refreshing instead of let's point fingers. Because that's what Satan does. He says that he is continually accusing the brethren, which means, and you felt this, when sin enters your life, you think, oh, God could love me. I must not be saved. Look at what I did again. And you're listening to the wrong voice. That's not the voice of restoration. That's the voice of accusation. So he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his Reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. What an interesting verse there. We'll get to it. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself. Why, why would we boast in ourselves? What he's saying there is don't just think yourself as better than someone else because you're pointing out your neighbor's flaw. Don't be justifying your behavior because you're not as bad as that person. Why don't, you, why don't you take a real hard look at what your life looks like? That's what Paul's saying. 
Don't be just justifying your behavior because so-and-so has got a worse sin than you do. He says we need to bear each other's burden. So why don't we bear a burden, not be a burden? How do you bear someone's burden? Help lead God and direct those who are caught in sin towards repentance and restoration. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I want, I want you to get this this morning. Fulfilling the law of Christ is the act of loving and restoring a neighbor in need. The law of Christ. It's mentioned twice by Paul. He mentions it here in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He also references it in 1 Corinthians 9.21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but rather the, under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. So what is this law of Christ? Whether in the church or outside of the church, you are functioning under the character and conduct of Christ to win those who are lost and broken and separated from God. I will do whatever it takes for me to do so I can bring people back into the kingdom and into a right relationship with God. This is the law of Christ. To win some. To restore those who have been broken. What must I do to fulfill the law of Christ? The problem with that is, is that pride often gets in the way of that. Pride prevents us from bearing one another's burdens and burdens other believers. Pride is self-focused and self-governing. Pride believes I'm more important than you are. Pride says I am or this is an exception to the rule. Now, do you remember when Jesus was asked, uh, well, who is my neighbor? It's the parable of the Good Samaritans found in Luke chapter 10. You can flip over there if you like. I'm going to read it to you real quick. But this lawyer comes up to Jesus, this, this guy who knows the law, and he asks Jesus this, this question. And it's Luke chapter 10, verse 25, following. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So Jesus has asked the question, Well, what's the law? Well, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, Well, how do you read it? And so he answers, and he says, You've answered correctly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And so then the lawyer says, Well, I have an exception to the rule. Let me, see what, well, let me see what you say. Let me press you a little bit more. So desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, there's a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, or unfermented grape juice. Just kidding. Um, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So the lawyer said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So there's this idea of fulfilling the law of Christ that even Jesus talks about here. 
Look, there's this, there's this law of Christ of bringing people back who have been broken. And the, the point of this is, is that Jesus is the good Samaritan. The, the priest, the Levite, the law can do nothing to bring you back into a right relationship with God, only Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ had compassion when he saw us broken and beaten and laid on the side of the road half dead. He said, look, I'm going to take you from death to life. I'm going to come and I'm going to restore you from your broken state back to a right state. And this is what I'm going to do as the son of God. And so you go and do likewise. You carry on the law of Christ. Carry on exactly what I've taught and displayed. When you see those who are broken, whether in the church or outside the church, you carry on the restoration of Jesus Christ. Lead people towards repentance and a right relationship with him. Amen? Amen. All right, good. You're following. So let us each, let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Every believer is called to carry the load of loving God and neighbor. There are no exceptions. Well, who is my neighbor? There are no exceptions. Every believer is called to carry the own load of loving God and neighbor. Paul is directing the gospel community to bear the load of loving your neighbor, not simply to boast in being better than your neighbor. Did you get that? Because a lot of times we will justify our behavior because we're not as bad as the other person. And we will ignore that person and the brokenness that they're in, or we will ridicule that person and the brokenness they're in because it makes us feel like we are better. We will voluntarily walk on the other side of the road to ignore those who are broken. But a gospel community carries out the law of Christ, whether in the church or out of the church, seeking to restore those who are broken. The law of Christ was taught by Christ. It was displayed by Christ, and it's continued by Christ in the gospel community of faith. Matthew, this is where he taught it. Sermon on the Mount, 5, 43 through 45. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of the father who is in heaven. Jesus said, look, I'm telling you, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. I'm telling you even to love your enemy. And he displayed this in Luke chapter 23, 33 through 38. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. At the very moment where you would say the enemies of God are persecuting him, beating him, nailing him to a cross, stripping him naked, you know, dispersing his garments, spitting upon him, yelling insults at him, his response at that moment is love and restoration. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even what Peter said back in Acts, what you did, you did in ignorance. But now's the time to repent. A lot of sin is done in ignorance. Jesus displayed it. He taught it. And now it's carried on in the church. This is what Paul says in Romans 
chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. One of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul tells the church here, it's time to be a genuine community of love. It's time to look outside of yourself to the needs of others. If someone needs a burden carried, carry their burden. If someone needs to be restored, lead them towards repentance and restoration. Abhor what is evil. Show honor. Serve with fervent zeal. Pray continually and contribute to the needs of those who have need. And love your enemies in a tangible way. As he ends the chapter and he ends the letter in Galatians verse, chapter 6, verse 15, he says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What really matters in the gospel is that there's a community of followers of Jesus Christ that have been radically transformed from the inside out because they have been renewed from a broken state to a whole state. And when they see someone else who has broken, they will do anything possible in their means to restore that person back to a right relationship with God. That's a new creation. The only way to overcome evil in your heart is to be filled with the overwhelming goodness of Christ. So Jesus would say in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, may we be a gospel community that looks outside of ourselves to those who are broken, both caught in transgressions in the church and broken outside of the family of faith, that we would be all things to all people so that we could win some. Amen? So there is sin in the community of faith that needs to be addressed, but there's also sowing in the gospel community of faith. Sowing. So he goes on, verse 6, Let the one who was taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There's this, this law or this principle that God has put into place when he created the world. It is the law of sowing and reaping. It's kind of like the law of gravity. Let me see if you know this one. What goes up? See, it's just a principle, right? You've learned it. You might have learned it the hard way, but you learned it. 
The law of sowing and reaping is just a law. It's a principle set in place by God. Sowing and reaping is evident in Scripture and is a law or principle set up by God on how the world works. So let's look at Proverbs eleven eighteen. The wicked earns decept, uh, deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. So here, even Proverbs is saying, sowing sin reaps consequences. A lot of us, we face the consequences of our sin and we say, but I ask God for forgiveness and you've been forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? But you sow what you reap. It doesn't always erase the consequences of sin. Forgiveness doesn't always erase the consequences. Sowing righteousness reaps rewards. Rewards for not only yourself, but for the kingdom. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The, the law and principle of sowing and reaping. I, I, get, I have good news this morning. Um, you are a church of sowing and reaping. And uh, Jonas, our, our uh, stewardship elder, is going to come up, but I want you to know that a gospel community is a grace-filled community. A grace-filled community is a gracious community, and a gracious community is a generous community. Many of you, you are a grace-filled, gracious, and generous community of faith. And it is obvious. And so I'm going to let... You can use that one. That, that mic's too tall for you, Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Yeah. I did call you out. And now, and now you could call me out for um, my tech skills. There you go. All right, so I'm going to hand it off to Jones for a couple of slides, and I'll come back, and we'll finish up the gospel of, or the letter of Galatians. Well, good morning. Um, hopefully, when you came in, you got one of these on the front table. If you didn't, I would encourage you to get it on, uh, on your way out, um, and, and then to take a look at it, not just take it. Um, this is a, so at this time of the year, we look back at the previous year, and uh, this year, like Jeff said, it's kind of celebration. Um, it's exciting. Uh, it also we also look forward as a in a budget. Um, and so, uh, if you take a look, the the first column shows you what we spent last year. The second column is what we budgeted last year, and the third column is what we propose uh, for our 2020 budget. Um, just a little bit of a recap. Um, so our undesignated income uh, was five hundred eighty-three thousand dollars. Our designated income. 107, almost $108,000. So for a total of just under $700,000. And that's, uh, for a church of our size, that's uh, significant. And I, I just wanted that one line there. Um, I just took our average attendance on Sunday mornings and divided that amount into it. And it's about almost $3,000 per person. And that includes the children in the nursery, those that are uh, in classes, those of you guys that are sitting here. Um, that's incredibly generous, and it's exciting to me. Um, you know, one thing that we can do as we continue to look at this, our, our income, uh, we had a $90,000 surplus this year. Um, we've got $230,000 in the bank, so these are the, the financial facts. Uh, we were able to fully fund our mission commitments and our ministries, and uh, we did some major maintenance and some project work. But as I was thinking about this and kind of reflecting on this in the kind of more in the vein of what 
uh, Jeff's talking about this morning and about our, um, you know, our, our finances are really an indicator of what is inside of us. And it's, God uses them as a, or he points them out in scripture as a gauge of what uh, our hearts are. And so as I look at, at our hearts, if we're generous people in our finances, um, then I, I'm excited because I see maturity and I see the character of Christ. So God's generous. And if we're going to be Christ-like, then we should be a generous people. And so I, I was just thinking back. The reason that we're in the position that we're in is largely because we don't have a mortgage. And those of you that were here a couple of years ago, there's a generosity in this congregation, and we paid off that mortgage by you guys giving. I think it was over a period of about 18 months, um, uh, about $500,000. I did not go back and check those numbers, but a significant amount of money, and that creates a surplus uh, from generosity. I thought about the, the Christmas tree that was out here just a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, we put on there uh, an opportunity for you guys to, to buy beds for kids in Africa, for you to put uh, food in people's hands in our community and kids' hands, and all those bags are gone. Pastor Al told me that uh, he brought up, uh, I don't know if you were here when he did the mission sermon first Sunday, um, and laid out some kids. There was a significant number of kids that he brought up here as an opportunity for us to, to minister to these kids, these orphans in uh, Africa. Uh, and he came back out uh, after greeting people in the lobby and was going to collect those up, and there were none for him to collect. It's generous. We're generous people. Um, I see those uh, this year. We've had some folks that have had some serious challenges health-wise in our body, and I've seen our body rally around those. That's generosity. Um, I've heard uh, Lisa's mentioned to me a couple of times over the holidays. Some of you guys opened your homes and invited people in who don't have family, who didn't have anybody to spend the holidays with. That's generosity. Um, I walk through the, the youth room uh, in Sunday mornings, and I see young adults pouring into their peers, those that are just younger than they are. That's generosity. I see them in ministering to the children. I see them in the nursery. Um, that's generosity. Uh, we're going to have 100 people tonight, somewhere around that, packing bags. Um, yeah, it's fun. We're going to get some pizza, but that's generosity. That's giving our time. And so, I just am excited as I see that, that I see more than just giving and meeting a budget, but I see us developing and growing as a body that is becoming more and more like Christ. So as we look into 2020, I don't have too many points, but we are, we're basically, we're in a good position. Our income budget for 2020 will match our 2019 actual income. Uh, we were able to increase our missions budget. We've got a slight increase in personnel and student ministry. You can see the details, and if you're interested in those or if you have questions about any of this, I would encourage you to come and talk to us. Um, but one of the main things that we need to do is we need to continue some special project work, and the very last page of the budget is actually a list of, um, of projects. These are kind of physical plant projects that we have. Um, and if you remember, when we paid off the budget, we said, okay, the surplus that we have, we are going to plow that back in. So we've saved this money, but we're not here, and we talk about sowing and reaping. Um, there's no benefit in holding these finances in the bank and creating a large savings account. Uh, but the purpose for this is to actually fund some of these things. And so if you look at those special projects, you can see some of those are fairly expensive. 
And so this is what we committed to do. We committed to taking those extra funds and putting them away, but then using those uh, for uh, purposes that we need here for the church. And so, again, if you have any questions about that, please feel free uh, to contact me or somebody that's on the stewardship committee, one of the elders. Um, but again, the focus, my focus this morning as I present this is really just a, um, an excitement and congratulations, uh, a celebration uh, of the church body that I'm proud to be a part of um, and that we are growing and that we're sowing and that we're reaping. Um, and I'm, I'm just excited. I hope you're excited with me as well. And <laughs> yes, so thank you. And I am thankful to God for his provision, but I'm also thankful for what I see in each one of you. <clears throat> Thank you, Jonas. Yeah, we let you know that because we do our business meetings a little bit differently here. We don't uh, do them in, in the big corporate setting. We have a business and breakfast, so if you are a member, um, you are certainly invited. If you are a visitor and you want to know even more about what's going on, you're invited as well. Uh, it'll be next Sunday at 9 o'clock in the student room as we have business and breakfast because the only way to get people here that early is breakfast. So... Um, but I want to thank you so much for being a gracious and loving church. Uh, let's continue in Galatians verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows from the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. There's some things that come into play here. You reap what you sow, positively or negatively. What you put in is what you get out. You can't put in a, an apple seed hoping uh, that you're going to get an orange tree. It just doesn't work that way. Like it, there's, a, there's a principle to sowing and reaping. And where you sow, your appetite grows. Where you sow, your appetite grows. So if you sow to the flesh, your appetite for the things of the flesh will grow. But if you sow to the Spirit, your appetite for the things of the Spirit will grow. That's how it works. These are the principles that... That God has set up. So these laws of sowing and reaping, there's three more. The law of later. We hate the law of later. We are an instant gratification generation. We want our Chick-fil-A on Sunday, and we want it now, right? Yes. So uh, the law of later, I can't, I can't wait till Monday. I don't want to wait till later. I want it now. There's the law of later. You don't see immediate results of sowing and reaping. The law of larger. What comes back? to you is always greater than what was sowed. When the seeds go out and the trees bloom, the fruit is multiplied 30, 60, some even 100 fold. This is what Jesus would say. He's talking about the parable of the seeds and the law of limitation. You get out what you put in. It's limited. It's limited. If you sow to the flesh, you will get out the flesh. If you sow to the spirit, you will get out the spirit. So what does that mean for us? Billy Sunday, a professional baseball player who turned evangelist, used to say, for every one lap you take around the devil's track, your kid will take seven. So I, I need to quote Billy Sunday more often. <laughs> Man, <clears throat> that's good stuff, preacher. Uh, as J.D. Greer puts it, Christian parents are surprised when their kids go off to college, for example, and walk away from the faith. And they always say, but we raised them in church. Yes, but church and your walk with God wasn't that important to you. You came sporadically. You didn't volunteer. You weren't in a small group. 
You didn't do missions together or read your Bible or pray together. Your kids weren't involved in the student ministry. You frequently missed church for sports events, for dance competitions, and trips to the beach. You raised them around God, but with God as only a second-tier priority. And that multiplied in your kid's life so that when they went to college, they left the faith behind because they figured getting up and going to church or living a pure and God-pleasing life in the face of such hostile culture was just not worth the hassle. The parable of the seeds shows us that sowing and reaping is what you put in, is what you get out. The law of later, the law of larger, and the law of limitation. So I want to end with this, serving in the gospel community of faith. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. It's 2020. Now's the time to start sowing. The old proverb states, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Today, church, you have an opportunity to begin sowing spiritual seeds of faith in the world, and more importantly, in the gospel community of faith. So today is the day to start sowing seeds of faith by serving the community of faith because a community of faith that doesn't fulfill the law of Christ will not experience the genuine love of Christ. If you want to be a church that experiences the genuine love of Christ that, that you see that should be out there, be a church that shares the genuine love of Christ. Look for those who need to be restored. Care enough to say something. Care enough to come alongside and bear a burden. Care enough to walk with someone until they reach the point of repentance. Be a church that, show, that sows genuine love and reaps genuine love. Today's the day to start sowing seeds of faith in the community of faith because a community of faith that doesn't sow into the next generation will, reap a har- will not reap a harvest of faith in the future. Church, don't leave it to programs. The most impactful thing you can do is engage in the body of faith, especially in the next generation, because like that, they're the leaders of the church. The next generation is just 10 years away from leading the church, and the next generation after that and after that. Some of us say, yeah, but I've, I've done my time. Last time I checked, there is no retirement in the gospel community. Some of us say, yeah, but that's not really what I feel God's calling me to do. Then where is he calling you to serve? And where can you sow seeds that you can definitely see fruit in, in the years to come? I mean, I think about the Sunday school teachers of Billy Graham, just doing it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, sowing seeds of faith, and look at what came of it. Today is the day to start sowing seeds of faith by serving in the community of faith because the community of faith that believes that God can and will do larger things at the harvest will sow seeds of faithful service and love today. Church, if you believe that what God has in store is yet to come, the best is yet to come, you will serve, you will love, and you will commit yourself to a gospel community of faith. 
Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.